You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Gordon is in progress. I don't know if the TCU defense ever knew that the game was in progress. Uh, I'm here with Matt Jennings, my friend. And uh, we're talking TCU football as we do each week. Lose to SMU. 42 to 34. Um, and we were talking a little bit before we started. You know, if you told me before the game, SMU won, like if you were like, SMU wins this game, I would be disappointed. I wouldn't necessarily be shocked. Uh, but a couple of years ago when they beat TCU, it really did feel like they were doing some gimmicky things. Like Sonny Dykes obviously had some insight into how to attack Gary Patterson's defense. And they fell behind early. Uh, they just played a horrifically bad game. They still only lost by two points, and they were had a chance. They had the ball with the chance to win that game. Um, this year, Matt, <laughs> it was different. Um, SMU ran the ball, and they just ran it at will. 350 yards, I believe, on the ground. Uh, Ulysses Bentley looked like a Mack truck. They had some uh, man with a neck roll out there looking like Mike Allstott in a half shirt who <laughs> was getting five or six yards to carry. Um, so before we get into that, at what moment for you, like was there a play or just a turning point in the game where you sort of said to yourself, okay, this this could end really poorly for, for the Frogs? Um, there were a few of them. I think the one that's easiest to point to because it was it was uh, it was a bunch of different things all coming together. It was like it, it was emblematic of a bunch of different things, which was uh, when they went when TCU went four on fourth and one and uh, and handed the ball to Kendra Miller up the middle and and they didn't get it. Um, and I complained about that on Twitter. I was like, Zach Evans has been eaten all day. I don't know why you're not giving them the ball then. Um, also, SMU is just SMU just won in the trenches on that play like they did on both offense and defense for much of the day so that was concerning um and they were they were super fortunate that Wyatt Harris came back and got an interception like um on the very next drive for SMU and kept that from expanding but like that was the moment you're like oh no like this not only are they behind not only are they not playing well but they're also like making poor decisions and everything's everything is kind of going wrong at the, and Kendra Miller's a good back like I don't have a problem with him uh inherently I think I, I, you know there's nothing wrong necessarily with him getting the ball um in a short yard situation but oh man but like that was the moment and for the offense where I was like oh no and then on defense it was kind of from the, <laughs> it was honestly kind of from the beginning when on, on on the third play of the game when when um, they, they scored that 60 yard touchdown and like, there was nobody around that was, it was kind of like, Oh no. And that really set the tone for the rest of the game of just like, there were so many miscommunications in the secondary to say nothing of how they got pushed around in the run game. Like it was bad. It was real bad. Right. I mean, aside from a couple interceptions, they really didn't get any stops. Um, they weren't able to get off the field and it wasn't even, again, it's like, you, you think the way SMU would attack them is by throwing the football, but it, it wasn't even third and longs. There were a few of those where they break off a big play through the air. It was mostly just running the football downhill. So 
defensive line wise, um, I mean, where do you see them going now? You know, Kyrie Coleman, hopefully he's back for the Texas game. That's not going to help them in run support a whole lot. And UT is going to want to run the ball as well. So on the interior, they need Corey Bethley back, but it, it's just, it's got to get better than it was Saturday. Yeah, Bijan Robinson's going to run for 500 yards on Saturday. I think we should <laughs> resign ourselves to that to that happening. I think we should all just become comfortable with that reality, understand that that's what's going to happen, and just mentally prepare for it. Just everyone just get that out of the way. No, you know, that's the thing is like they really did. They got pushed around bad on on the defensive line. To your point, you know, Ulysses Bentley had 150 yards. Trey Siggers had 112 yards. Um, They both averaged, uh, Bentley averaged 7.7 yards a carry, Siggers 6.1. Every player, every, (laughs) the four players who carried the ball for SMU on Saturday all averaged at least six yards a carry. Tanner Mordecai averaged nine yards a carry somehow. Um, It was bad. Like they just could not um, control the line of scrimmage at all. Um, They just don't. And that's the thing that's frustrating, right? Like, and the losing to SMU on its own is not inherently, um, especially this version of SMU under under Sunny Dykes is not inherently embarrassing, right? Because they're a much better team. Like this is easily the best iteration of SMU since the death penalty like they're just they're they're way better than they have been like there's nothing like they're a really good team they could very well be the group of five team in the New Year's uh in the New Year's six bowls at the end of the year they're really good that's all 100% true so losing to them on its own is not necessarily um concerning but losing to them in the way that TCU did getting just having absolutely no control of the line of scrimmage particularly on defense um, when Gary, when that's what Gary Patterson's uh, his whole time at TCU has been defined by is the ability to create negative plays, force three and outs, control the line of scrimmage with, with his front six. And they did, they got pushed around. They got pushed around bad on, on, on Saturday. And to your point, how they fix it. I'm really not sure because to your point, like they don't, I can see improvements that they can make in the secondary. Like they have young, talented guys or at linebacker, like they have young, talented guys where it's like, okay, like let's, let's put out at corner, like throughout Keontae Jenkins, throughout Amani Watkins um, and see what happens. Or you're going to, maybe you get Noah Daniels back at some point, maybe Keon Stewart back at some point and suddenly corner looks a lot better or at linebacker, you know, put Jamoy Hodge out there for some more snaps, get Shadrach Banks uh, some more snaps, some some of these young athletic guys, and, like, maybe you feel better. A defensive tackle, I don't think you really have that. And a defensive end, I don't think you really have that. You're praying for a Coleman to come back. But, again, that's more of a pass rush thing than it is a run-stopping thing. And, like, maybe you try and get Patrick Jenkins out there some more. I, I feel like I saw some nice things from him a couple times last year. But, like, otherwise, like, yeah, they're just getting they, – they're – I don't know what the answer is in terms of being able to consume blockers up front and control the line of scrimmage. And um, if that's the case, then yeah, they're going to run into Texas. They're going to run into Kansas state and Baylor, and they're going to get, they're going to get run out of the building. It's going to be ugly. Well, and you tweeted this yesterday, you said, is this the worst defense since 2015? And that, that unit was really banged up too. But I don't, I mean, I don't really remember ever a team getting shoved around like that. You know, not like, by not not by not by, SMU, not by someone who not by someone who wasn't Oklahoma. 
um, or, or Baylor during the height of the Art Bryles time. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, it, 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 this is, it was, this was different. And um, I, you know, I was, I was texting some friends yesterday and I feel, you know, I was like, you know, the bold strategy by Gary Patterson to have only one good player at each level of his defense right now, which is kind of what he has. They've got, they've got Tom, they've got Hodges Tomlinson uh, in the secondary at corner. You got D winners at linebacker. You've got Kyrie Coleman at defensive end, who's not out there. So actually you only have two. And I don't, I, there's not a solution for that. And, and what's funny is that, you know, we keep talking about like they're recruiting at a higher level than they have, than they really ever have been certainly over the last few years. And um, it is not turning into, at least right now, it's not turning into results. And so um, I'm not totally sure what the answer is. I, you know, I saw some people throwing out the, oh, well, I remember when TCU had two and three-star athletes and they were playing hard and, and, and stuff and blah, blah. Like, okay, ignore the fact that, you know, your best players this year and, in, and for the last three or four years have all been your blue chippers, whether that's Johnston and Zach Evans and Max Duggan and Jalen Rager and Trevon Merrick and, 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 and like, I just don't, I don't believe in that narrative, but I do think that they are for whatever reason, I don't know if it's um, like the, I don't know, they have not developed talent on defense the same uh, uh, to the degree that they need to over the last, over the last couple of seasons. And then when you suddenly lose two NFL defensive backs in Ardarius Washington and Trevon Merrig. And suddenly you've got a bunch of miscommunications in the back end of the defense and you lose Ross Blacklock a couple of years ago who uh, covered up for a lot of problems. And suddenly you can't stop the run as well. Suddenly he's been gone for two years now, but you understand my point. Um, they, uh, and so it's, it's bad. They, they came into last week. I believe it was, they came into last week ranked, I think 26th in defensive SP plus according to Bill Connolly. And after that one game against SMU, they dropped 15 spots to 40 to 41st and it's going to get worse unless something changes drastically. And that's the thing about the defense that that's concerning, right? Like we can, we haven't even talked about the offense yet, but you know, all the stuff that happened with the offense yesterday is all stuff that we knew already is all stuff that we've seen before. Like, Oh, Max Duggan has trouble with accuracy on the deep ball what else is new? Oh, the play calling, especially in scoring territory is questionable. What else is new? But in spite of all that, they still put up 35 points. They still were in, they were still in position to win the game. I know Max Duggan's fumble to that turn into a score sucked. I know, you know, there were, there were, there were missed opportunities for sure, but they, they did well enough in spite of those things to win that game. Um, the defense is far more concerning to me because for the last four years, Gary's been able to kind of been like, well, if the offense just got its act together, we could win some games. That's not the problem right now. The problem is the defense um, is bad. They just flat out are, are bad. Right. And there doesn't, I mean, there doesn't appear to be a way where you can just scheme that up. I mean, you can't, you can't account for guys getting shoved off the ball and, and not reestablishing the line of scrimmage. Um, and Yes, I saw the let's just get a bunch of lunch pail dudes again tweets yesterday. It's like, folks, I get it. But if that's what you want, the last few recruiting classes have been more on that vein, even though they, you know, they still get some four five star guys, but they've been smaller. Um, but let's like there's deeper issues than uh, just having dudes with no heart. And I don't honestly think yesterday, like I still believe SMU cares about that rivalry a lot more than TCU does. Just go look at their Twitter account after the game. But, I mean, 
that wasn't even really an effort thing to me. A lot of those problems that TCU had yesterday, like that, that wasn't coming out flat. I mean, they just got beat, um, which is concerning. Yeah, offensively, so to me, the, the turning point in the game was the strip sack. Um, just because you come in, you come out of the locker room, it's tied at 21. You are probably disappointed that the game's tied, but you got to stop at the end of the half. You get the ball first, you have a chance to go down and score. Um, and then immediately, you know, Max gets hit from behind. He fumbles the ball, and you're down by seven points before the half even really starts. And part of that, too, is maybe J.D. Spielman wouldn't run every kickoff out of the end zone if they got him the ball on offense. But anyway, that's another thing. The thing I'll complain about today, uh, some people were texting me about Max. Um, yeah, like Matt said, we kind of know what what Matt, who Max Duggan is. And as far as issues go, quarterback was pretty low on my list from, from the loss yesterday. Um, and I know this sounds kind of crazy because he ended up with 18 touches on the day. But in my mind, it, if things keep playing out like this, the only way you're going to win consistently is to give Zach Evans the ball as much as possible and slow down the football game. And he had 15, he had 15 carries for 113 yards, 7.5 average. He had three catches for 70 yards and a TD. A lot of that was on that little screen pass he took 46 yards. That's not enough. I mean, the 18 times touching the ball is a lot, but it's not enough. He's got to get 25 to 30 touches a game. Like, he's different. He's just a different type of player. Um, and, and he's the guy that could, as you said last week, sort of atone for a lot of the issues that they have going on right now. Yeah, it's, you know, I wish I 100% agree. They need to get him the ball more. They need to get him the, they they need to get him the ball um, in more inventive ways. To your point, like they give him the ball in the pass game a little bit. Um, I would love to see TCU run a single wheel route with a running back, and with that running back being Zach Evans, that would be that would be my dream come true. And the thing about that, it, it's not just like get him the ball in space in a different way rather than him just running inside zone. That is spectacular and I'd love for them to do that but it also like makes the def it it clears things out for other players to then be able to make plays if you clear the linebackers out of the middle of the field or that whatever safety is covering Zach Evans out of the middle of the field by necessity guess what you've created more space for Darius Davis and Quentin Johnson and Tay Barber and J.D. Spielman to work and um and, and so yeah to your point yeah you know it's not always as simple as just like give the ball to the good players, but sometimes it's really as simple as give the ball to the good players. Um, and, and to be, and to be entirely fair to kill and meet him, like they tried that yesterday. That's why they were throwing deep to Quentin Johnston the, uh, as, as much as the end to Savion Williams. I think they think they have something with Savion Williams and they just haven't been able to get it going yet. Um, uh, and so I think they, they like their talent, the position group, and they're trying to take advantage of them in the best way they can. And then we run at the issues with Duggan again, which is again, that his, his downfield accuracy is just, accuracy is just not great. Like even on his long throw to Tay Barber in the first half, Tay Barber had to like kind of slow up a little bit to get, even when he was wide open, you know, and then there are other instances where he overthrows the guy. So like, that's an issue. But um, despite all that, again, they were still kind of in position to even with their miscues, even with their mistakes, to 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 um, to be in position to win the game um, at the end there, and so that's the thing that's you know uh, frustrating and annoying. To your point, yeah, you know, get Zach Evans the ball 
on the ground specifically and limit the opposing team's possessions because which is funny because that feels like that's what Gary's been trying to do for like four years <laughs> yeah and it's like man maybe you should really lean into that now especially now you've got the five-star running back who's gonna be probably a first-round pick at some point um and you know lean into that like really really do it um and 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 just run run the option with him and max uh all the time and and just see how far that gets you and keep your defense off the field um that does seem like it would be really smart and then throw play action off of it It, it's 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 not it shouldn't be that hard but again i i complained about those things i just don't think the offense was the was the biggest issue yesterday they were obviously miscues but just it was not the thing that stood out to me the most. I went back, <laughs> I went back to look. I felt like it was telling. I didn't tweet once about Max yesterday. Lots of other people did. I didn't tweet once about Max yesterday because just it was the defensive problems were just way more concerning and way more memeable to me uh, against SMU than, than Max was, which is uh, atypical for a TCU game over the last couple of years. So uh, I want to hit on the Texas game for a second, and then we'll have a conversation about something that we talk about once or twice a year, every year, it seems like the past four or five seasons. Um, I, I feel like based on what I saw from you today, I know the answer to this, but I, I am holding out a sliver of hope about the Texas game just because of the history there. For whatever reason, they seem to always respond and bounce back. Uh, Gary, you know, saves his best for UT and Baylor. And he's done that the past decade or so. Do you have any any optimism going into this this contest against UT at home? Um, no, not well. <laughs> I say not any, not a lot. But here's the thing: um, I feel even with TCU's record against against Texas since joining the Big Twelve, which for anyone who's keeping score, it's seven and two. In case anybody didn't know that, as That's TCU's right. seven and two against Texas in the big in, in Big Twelve play since 2012. Just in case anybody needed to know, the record is seven and two. Did I say that it's seven and two? Seven and seven wins, two losses. Despite that record, I still come into this matchup every year just like filled with dread and just like anticipating it's gonna be it's gonna go horribly. Um, And then usually I'm proven wrong. That's how I. That's what happened last year. It's it's happened. uh, It happened in uh, it happened in the very first the TCU's very first year in the Big Twelve in 2012. I was like, oh man, they're gonna get massacred in this game, and they won this like super ugly like I think it was in a being like 20 to 13 game it was it was but it was beautiful and so maybe um they pull something out like that again um but with all that being said yeah no you know I think what Texas does well um which is run the ball with Bijan Robinson and uh does not line up well with what we have seen so far from the TCU defense in terms of what they don't do well. Um, I am, I think the thing that does, um, uh, I'm not sure Texas is going to be able to create as many explosive plays in the passing game as SMU did. Um, So that could be the thing that is a wrinkle that I'm not really considering as much as I should be. Um, And if that's the case, then maybe things turn in a different way and it's at home. Um, so that's worth, you know, that's worth noting as well, but I don't have a ton of optimism about it, but again, I, I might, my, my vision might be colored just in too, too, too much of a degree based on what I just saw in an SMU game. Um, but SMU also could be way better than Texas. Who knows? Who knows? Indeed. It is concerning that the recipe for them in winning unexpected games the past few years 
has been make it a really ugly football game and make a few plays and win a defensive battle. I don't think they can do that, you know. Like, they're going to have to go about it in different ways, and I'm not sure they have the personnel to get that done, but we'll see how that plays out. Okay, Matt. Um, so yesterday, I I am not someone who's on message boards a lot. I've been on the more since I started the podcast just because I kind of like to know the pulse of what people are talking about. Uh, that was a, a pretty sore spot, sore place yesterday with a lot of people pointing blame, wanting heads to roll. Um, let, let me ask you this. At this point, as they sit here two and one, you know, we, we've been here before where it feels like this is the low point of the GP era, and then they rally and they make a bowl game and they close the season fairly strong and we get optimistic again the next year. Uh, right now, do you think long-term it would be better for TCU to do that, to finish seven and six or eight and four, uh, um, or just kind of bottom out to a point where it's obvious something has to be changed, whether that's the the coaching staff being overhauled or something has to be done to get this thing shook up and moving in a different direction? That's a great question. To me, the answer of whether or not a change needs to be made is the same regardless of whichever of those scenarios that happens. Uh, the only scenario where I change my mind about uh, whether or not Gary Patterson could, should stick around for another few years is if like they, they turn this about in the most dramatic fashion possible and like are competing for a big 12, a spot in the big 12 title game at the end of the year. And they win like nine or 10 games. That's the only scenario. Like to me, getting like being up on the bottom half of the big 12 and getting to seven wins, six or seven wins again is not impressive enough to me to, to, to change my mind about how I feel about just kind of the state of the program. Um, but I don't know how Jeremiah Donati feels about it. Right. And so if the answer for him is that the only way to get the only way the boosters and the power brokers are going to put the pressure on him to make a change is if they go three and nine, four and eight, then sure. Yeah. I, I guess that's, that, that's the way it has to go. You know, to me, I, I think it just has to be, you know, Gary is the most, is the, he deserves all the credit in the world for getting TCU to where it is now. He's the reason they're in the big 12. He's the reason they won the Rose bowl. He's the reason they won the peach bowl. He's the reason the stadium and the facilities, not just for football, but across athletics are what they are. He's a, a huge part of the reason for the growth of the university over the last 20 years. So all that needs to be said. He's the most successful coach in school history. He has earned his stature out the side of the stadium. That is all needs to be said and it is an important preface to this. Um, and at the same time, like this feels very, very like twilight years of Mac Brown, like very much like this is a coach who has some amazing, has done some amazing things, um, will be remembered fondly forever um, by the institution but um, it, it, his career and the state of the rest of college football are no longer aligned to where he can really have the level of success that he's had in the past. And I think the question for the power brokers and the boosters and everything is, okay, like what's the version of TCU? Like if you're cool with like, hey, TCU is going to win seven games uh, right about 
most years and they're gonna you know they're gonna beat Baylor and or Texas a lot of years well until Texas lose for the SEC and like that's what you want your program to be about cool like that's fine like if, th if that's what you decide you want to be then, then great if you have aspirations beyond that I think we we have now three and a half years more really because uh, of, of evidence to suggest that it's kind of time to, to move on because honestly like let's be honest y'all 2014 and 2015 and 2017 are the are the the watermarks that we kind of gauge TCU's football success in the Big 12 by. That's three seasons out of this is the 10th, right? So the two thirds of the time they have been a six or seven ish win team in the Big right. 12 under Gary Patterson. Not to say again, not to disparage any of his accomplishments or anything like that, but I think it's it you know with the 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 resources the program has with its locate its proximity to uh talent in texas and in dfw specifically like i think everyone thinks the ceiling of the program could be higher than what it is right now than what it's showing itself to be especially given gary's kind of unwillingness to change some stuff over the last few years on the offense with uh the way he does recruiting and and things of that nature so you know, I, I think people have been saying those things in hushed tones for two years. And I think yesterday's final, I would think yesterday opens the floodgates for people to start saying stuff out loud now, um, which I think TCU is an attractive job. I think if he um, leaves on good terms and is willing to leave gracefully like Bob Stoops did and kind of help give his blessing to the next dude things could actually go really well and it could be a smooth it could be a pretty seamless transition and they could hit the ground running with the next guy or he could continue his trend of looking like Mac Brown and kind of torpedo the coaching search and kind of put the program in the hole for a few years afterwards it's Gary's choice this is my this is my scorching hot take take it I think the last thing you said, well, not the last thing you said, even though I want to touch on that too. One of the last things you said is the most important to me, which is TCU's got to decide who they are or what they want to be. Um, if you want to be a team that wins six or seven games and upsets somebody every year, that's fine. There's a lot of teams in college football that that's what they do. Um, and you can continue on this path. Uh and they still have everything in front of them this season. Like, that's that should be said. They lost SMU. That might not look like the worst thing in the world in four or five weeks. But, yeah, it was 2014, 2015, 2017. And in 2017, we were all waiting for the bubble to burst. Like, that was a good team. I would, I would give some stuff for this team to be like that team. Um, but you, you knew that you were just kind of waiting to lose to Oklahoma. So 2014, 2015 were the two teams that, that had a legit shot at, at something more than just kind of an Alamo Bowl berth. So, yeah, I think it is critical that you start thinking about, hey, what do we want to be? What, what's sort of the watermark that would make us say it's time to either come to Gary and say, hey, we got to have some changes here. We got to have some hard conversations or um, – it might be time to part ways. And the final thing is interesting because Matt, like, he doesn't have a coaching tree, really. I mean, it's it's Justin Fuente, and that's not somebody who really excites me. 
At this yeah. Point. Yeah. No, if you're, if you're looking for people on the, the, the Gary Patterson tree, if you can call it that, because this is the thing, right. Is his, and this is part of the problem with the program right now is his tree is so insular like right like he the guys he develops like sticks around forever but they don't go anywhere the guys who have left have been guys who came from elsewhere and then went back you know talk about Sonny Combi coming back coming from Texas Tech and then leaving talking about Doug Meacham who you know was a transplant from from Houston and before that Oklahoma State and went on and then came back um you know like there's you know the the guys who have been uh to your point is, is Fuente um, it's, I said this on the podcast previously, like if you're looking for the internal candidates who are exciting, um, who I think are, would, would, um, would provide some energy to the, to the, to the, the part, to the athletic department, to the program, to the fan base, to recruiting. I think the list is Paul Gonzalez and Malcolm Kelly, end of list. And just for me, that's where I'm at. Um, and I think that you can, depending on how you, how you spin it and pitch it, like either of those can actually be kind of exciting. Um, or yes, to your point, you, 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 you go somewhere else, um, you know, and, and, you know, I don't, we could, we, this isn't what this podcast is about. We don't need to, we don't need to go through what the list looks like right now, but, um, but yeah, to, so to your point, it's not, um, there's not an easy baton handoff um, or an obvious one. And part of that's Gary's fault because Gary hasn't put any of these guys in front of the media. No one knows anything about what these guys really do, what their personality is like, what their actual contribution to the program really is because he puts all of them behind a firewall and he refuses to let anyone talk unless you're Sonny Cumbie in 2019 and Gary didn't like the way you called the game against SMU. And so he throws you under the bus and says, hey, Sonny, hey, Sonny go explain why we lost to the Mustangs. Doesn't have anything to do with the fact that my defense didn't come through and didn't anticipate Sonny Dykes, who was on our staff previously, running a bunch of trick plays because he was on my staff and he realized that I was bad at preparing for opposing teams trick plays. So it couldn't be my fault. So it must be your Sonny. So go explain yourself. He doesn't have, that's the only time he ever does it, except when, a, when, when the bowl game uh, contract requires the coordinators to speak. That's the only, or, or pre-season or pre when there's nobody, when, when there's no game film, there's nothing actually to ask them about. You know what I mean? And so yeah. because of that reason, like no one knows anything about Paul Gonzalez. No one knows anything about Malcolm Kelly or Zarnell Fitch or Chad Glasgow or any of these guys. Jerry Kill hasn't spoken to the media, but like three times since he got here. And he's, you know, if he had a, ch maybe if he had a chance to defend himself, maybe we'd all feel really differently about the way he's helping with his offense. I don't even know because we've got to get to talk. So, you know, all that, to, all that to, to reinforce your point of, you know, you don't know who that guy to hand it off, hand, thing, hand the keys to is. You don't know who that is. You don't know what the transition plan looks like because Gary hasn't done anything to illuminate to anybody or, or make it seem like he's at all. He always has, does the whole like, oh, I'm not going to do this for more than five, four years. And he's been saying that for, for eight years, right? And he's done nothing to kind of illuminate the path for what is next for the program because he kind of I feel like he felt like he could get it turned around and he didn't want to you know think about a plan to transition or if he has thought about it hasn't told anybody which is very Gary um, but he didn't want to do anything in that regard until he got the program to where he wanted it to be again and guess what that's not happening right now it's not the issue you find yourself in if you're TCU 
Well, and, and to me, the only other option, and I, I say option loosely because there are plenty of options, and most likely option as we sit here today is still that they continue to do what they've done for, for years. But the only other option is let's have a real search for an offensive coordinator, not not Doug Meacham, you know, coming back with uh, a leash on, not Jerry Kill, who I hope is okay after getting hit by apparently a TCU player in a, in a scuffle. Um, Which can we can we talk about? Well, let's finish your point and then let's come back to that because that's its own unique, ridiculous thing that Gary like like yeah red herring that Gary decided to throw out there on Saturday to distract from the fact that he lost because he didn't have Sonny Cumbie there to distract from the fact they lost but no finish your point sure and I don't (laughs) want to spend a lot of time on it he does have a tendency to somebody did something every time they lose an embarrassing game somebody did something it's it's kind of like my five-year-old has a tendency to when we punish him we'll be like hey, man, you can't ride your bike the rest of the day because you didn't listen to your mom. Well, I'm never going to ride my bike again. <laughs> and my toe hurts. And it's like, okay. Told you. Sorry. Those are – you self-punished yourself, and I'm sorry about your toe. I don't know how those things are related. But, yes, he does He does have a habit of somebody always did something when, when these things happen. It's as, it's as reliable as – him saying the guy's got to grow up every time they lose to someone they shouldn't. Um, what was I even talking about? I don't know. Oh, yeah, offensive coordinator. You got to go get a real deal offensive coordinator. And I think also it's time to have a conversation about you might need a D.C. too. Because when Coach Bumpus was here, I get it was a different era, but I think that helps. Like, I think having someone – to sort of bounce ideas off of and get play calls in allowed him to be more big picture and sort of over every aspect of the team. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, something they still have a chance to go right the ship this year, but on September 26th, I don't know how, because they just got shoved around by SMU. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, so we're going to do this every week. We're just going to do this conversation every week. <laughs> well, until, until you know, well, and that's the thing is, is, is this is, you know, just a bright chipper locked on horn frogs podcast. Everyone make sure to like, and subscribe, leave a five-star review. Um, but uh, to, to start off your week, but no, you're like, if a couple things go differently on Saturday, like we're obviously talking about this game very differently, uh, but that doesn't change the fact to your point that they, like lost the battle up front. They couldn't make tackles. They blew coverages over and over and over again. And so, and, and they don't have obvious answers talent wise, personnel wise to cover for a bunch of those issues. So, so on defense, at least the issues are, there's too many, you can't attack one thing. There, there, it is, it is all of the things, right? It's not one thing. It is all of the things, at least on offense, you can be like, well, I know that they're talented. Right. And I know that when they do call, you know, 
sequences of plays and, 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 and situational play calls that make sense. I've seen them have success and I've seen them do good things this year already. So um, I may not love the play calling and scoring territory in the red zone. I may not love the, you know, uh, Max Duggan's downfield accuracy. I may not love the offensive line um, in pass blocking or honestly run blocking a lot. But like, I know that they can make something happen. We, we are three games in and I am less concerned about the offense than I am about the defense, which is just not where I thought I was going to be in the year of our Lord 2021 talking about TC football, but here we are. Um, and yeah, to your point, like, I don't just, I don't know what the quick fixes are. Now to your point, maybe we come back next Sunday uh, night when we record this. And they've just, you know, just beat Texas 35 to 10. And we'll be singing singing Gary's praises. We're talking about like, oh, you know, four more years of Gary. Um, But as of right now, that doesn't seem like uh, the most likely outcome. I will be happy to say I was so wrong next Sunday uh, if I, if, 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 if that ends up being the case. And hey, I mean, you know, I, I put Jamie Dixon's feet to the fire back in the spring and he went shopping on the transfer portal like it was Walmart. And I don't know if that team's <laughs> going to be any good, but they did make some wholesale changes to their roster. Well, um, and go well, ahead. Yeah. Let's talk about, because Jamie Dixon's related to this. Let's talk about this for just one second. I think the whole complexion of this conversation is very, very different. Um, if Chris Del Cane is the still, still the AD right? Like everything about this conversation is different, right? Because uh, Jeremiah Donati got brought in, I don't know we're over time, but we're going too long, but he, he got brought in to kind of maintain status quo uh, from Del Cane. He was an internal hire, uh, you know, Del Cane um, assistant, like it just made sense kind of keep continuity. And well, then what happens? Well, then he suddenly, he gets put in a position where Dixon's shopping around, looking at the UCLA job. Then later on, you lose Schloss to Texas A&M, and you are, and so suddenly these things that, Donati's just not equipped, or certainly was not expecting to have to handle this soon, have to handle the, 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 the Schloss situation, the Dixon situation, now the Patterson situation. Um, these are all things that I did not think he expected to deal with this soon. And if Del Cane was here, Del Cane's got way more cachet, had way more cachet, had way more kind of weight to throw around to be like, to tell, to, to tell Gary, lay down the law with him about, hey, here's the way things are gonna go. Or he could, you know, he could be much more publicly critical of Gary if he wanted to, or start making those moves for, for a transition plan. And Donati just does not have, um, in my eyes, does not have that cachet, does not have that weight to throw around with the power brokers at the university and among the boosters where, um, he could do those same things and handle that same situation. He's not equipped. To me, it doesn't seem like he's equipped for it. And that's not a prop. That's not an indictment of him. It's, you know, because Del Cane is the guy who helped get them to the big 12. Del Cane is the guy who helped fundraise for all the facilities. Del Cane is the guy who made uh, the hire for Jamie Nixon. Like he is like, he, he was a phenomenal AD and he's that, that's the reason why Texas went and got him. Um, and, and, and so he was a guy who I think was, just because of his history at the school and the relationships that he had and his track record of um, all the things that he had done for the program. 
um, would have been able to navigate this scenario, these, this scenario with Gary um, and, and would have been able to exert his will a little bit more. Um, and I feel like Donati has, at least to this point, has been at the mercy of Gary to this point. And he, he's kind of at the mercy of when the boosters finally decide they want to make a change. I would think that that would happen this year, but I'm not totally sure. All right, everybody, enjoy your Monday. <laughs> we both fully expect to get some DMs about 9 o'clock on Monday night. If you know, you know. Um, we'll be back Ooh. next Monday. Win or lose, we're here talking on Lockdown Horn Frogs. I'll be back on Tuesday. We'll start breaking down this Texas game. This has been Lockdown Horn Frogs, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.